We good? If you have a Bible around you, make sure you grab it. If you don't own one, please take it. That's our gift to you. But we want to make sure that you have a text so you can see with your own eyes what we're going to be studying this morning. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Gabe. I'm one of the elders here, the primary teaching pastor here. Uh, it's good to meet you guys. Excited to be here. Uh, I don't know what happened if I offended someone last week because no one seems to be here. But that's fine. We're going to have fun. Um, so <clears throat> Luke 21, if you have your Bibles, this is typically the point where I tell some funny story and everyone engages and like, oh man, this is great. He's kind of weird looking, but I like this church. And then we dive into the text, skipping over all of that this morning. We're just going to dump straight in. Sound good? Oh, this is going to be fun. Luke 21, we're going to pick it up in verse 5, 5 through 9. Just a couple quick verses, but uh, a lot to cover. Luke 21, 5 through 9. When I was growing up in church, uh, I used to, those cheesy things that pastors would always say, like, I just love to hear the pages turning, and y'all know the pastors say that. I really do like it, though. Like, it is encouraging, so... Maybe they weren't wrong. Their suits were wrong, but maybe that wasn't wrong. Verse 5, you ready? Here we go. And while some were speaking to the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will no... I'm sorry, let me start over. There will not be left here one stone, another that will not be thrown down. Verse 7. And they asked him, they being the disciples, asked Jesus, Teacher... Will these things, oh sorry, will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you're not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Verse 9. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified for these things must take place, but the end will not be at once. So let's pray and we'll dive into this text this morning. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for all that you've done for us. And um, Jesus, as we come to study this morning, would we understand what you're trying to communicate to us? Uh, Father, so many times it's difficult to, uh, but Jesus, we ask for your wisdom, ask for your discernment, ask for your insight so that we know what you're speaking to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now we have to, and we've kind of been saying this the last couple of weeks, we have to understand where we are in this story and why I'm just jumping straight into, uh, because we are at, depending on who you read, Tuesday or Wednesday of Jesus' last week on the earth. He dies on Friday. I would land more towards the Wednesday argument, but we don't have time to get into there. So Tuesday or Wednesday of his last few days on earth. And here's where we get to. He's done with the Pharisees. He's done with the religious ones. He pulls his boys, pulls his disciples out to the Mount of Olives and spends time with them. This is kind of his last big teaching. This is called the Olivet Discourse. And this discourse, this next chapter, chapter 21, is mind-boggling. R.C. Sproul, anyone know R.C. Sproul? All right, R.C. Sproul just passed away, one of the greatest theologians of our time. And here's what he has to say. Uh, it was gross, I'm sorry. No teaching of Christ has generated as much controversy as the portion of the Olivet Discourse. 
So what we're diving into over the next, next two weeks has caused more controversy in, in the opinion of R.C. Sproul than anything else Jesus has ever said. So look, here, here's I mean, just cards on the table. Um, does anyone know what eschatology is, the study of end times? All right, so there's eschatology riddled all through here. Um, John MacArthur spent 15 weeks just preaching through this, and we're going to attempt to do it in three weeks. All right, so here's what this means. Um, if all your eschatological questions, pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial, rapture, all that, that's not getting answered the next two weeks. We just don't have time. We're going to stay as faithful to the text as possible, but without getting into the weeds. Now, I would love to, Lord willing, someday circle back, use this compared to Revelation 19, 20, 21, and spend a long time talking and preaching through the end times and what all that looks like. Um, there's two reasons why we're not doing this. One, we've already spent three years in Luke, um, so we have to wrap up at some point. And two, just candid, I don't know where I stand in all that stuff, so I can't stand here and preach to you. I have a leaning, a conviction, but I don't, I'm not fully satisfied with that. So um, we're going to do that one time, maybe when I'm older and a little wiser and a little more gray, and we'll spend time there. But for now, we're just going to try to figure out what is the root of what Jesus is preaching at? What is the, um, the culmination of this teaching without getting too much into the fray? But what we need to do here from an exegetical standpoint is really understand and pick up the tone of what's happening um, there's, there's been a few times in my life, and I, and I keep going back and forth, the honor or dishonor, I can't decide, depends on the moment I'm feeling, where, where I've been at a deathbed, where I've had those, been family around, had those deathbed conversations, right? And this is where Jesus takes his boys, goes up to the Mount of Olives, and says, look, this is, this is it. This is the last time, this is my deathbed conversation with you. Sure, we're, we're going to cover the Passover and there's going to be a little bit more teaching, but, but this is his main, last deathbed conversation here with his boys. I mean, this is deep, this is true. There's a lot of things surrounding and, and, and emotion that's happening here. And he kind of splits it, again, if you've been around these deathbed style conversations, he kind of splits it into two parts. One, he reminds them of what he's already taught them and what he already, or what they already know they just need to be reminded of. And then he flips over and says, but, but here's what you don't know, here's what's coming that you need to be prepared, prepared for. So let me remind you, take comfort and peace in what you already know, but then let me teach you a few more things that are going to serve you really well at the end. Here's what it would sound like. And just candidly, I wrote this and I hated writing this. But I had to put myself like if I was on my deathbed talking to my kids, here's what I would say. And here's why I hate this. Because I'm having surgery even though mine are on Wednesday. And this just got into my psyche. So this is how much I love you that I would labor in writing this. And maybe cry a little bit. But here's what I would say. The first part I would tell my kids to remember to laugh. No matter what happens, remember laughter and all the laughs that we've had and, and the memories that come with that. I would tell them to remind them of love and all the times that we've seen love fix everything. And I would tell them that more than anything, that Jesus is enough. And remember all the times that he's proven that over and over and over again. Things that they already know, that they've already seen, they've already tasted, but they just need to be reminded of when I'm gone. But then I would take time to teach them about the beauty in marriage and how to act when you're in love. The beauty of kids and how many to have or how many not to have. Uh, stop it too. The necessity of the local church in their life. That they cannot do life without the local church, their community. 
the necessity to not quit at things in life, but just to remember to rest, to slow down. You don't have to stop everything to rest. You need to put up boundaries and all of these things. I would teach them because they don't yet know these things. And so what we're about to see here is this first part, Jesus is gonna, hey, you know this stuff. Remember this stuff. I've told you this. Almost every cross reference I'm gonna use is coming from the gospels because Jesus has already taught his disciples this. And then next week, Dylan is going to take verse 10 through verse 37, Joker. And he's going to have to spend all of this time figuring out what it means for Jesus forecasting for us in the future. This is what you don't know yet, but this is what you need to remember. So if you would go ahead and start praying for Dylan, that would be awesome. I'm glad I don't have to do that. So with that in, in, in view, let's dive in. Because verse 8 says it all perfectly. And he says, see that you were not led astray. So on his deathbed, in his last conversations with his boys, he starts off with saying, see that you're not led astray. Which seems like a simple, okay, cool, Jesus, give me, give me something deeper. But, but the first thing that we have to see that we all have to wrestle with, just like the Pharisee, or the um, disciples have to wrestle with, is that we can be led astray. I, I think there's just this swagger, this confidence that we have, which is good, but if we get too confident with our sin, we get too comfortable with the things around us, we don't understand that they're gonna devour us and they're gonna eat us. So we have to understand that we can, first and foremost, be led astray. So we have to see that we're not. Now, Sunday school, anyone grow up in Sunday school? All right, I'm about to ask a question, total Sunday school answer. You ready? Let's see if we can work this out. What are we not supposed to be led astray from? Jesus. Yes, that was total seventh grade. Like you're dreaming about anything else and the teacher calls on you randomly like, Jesus, that's the answer. That is, that is the answer. That is the question, Jesus. And then anytime he tries to go like, you weren't paying attention, but no, you weren't paying attention and try to spin this into a theological debate of like Jesus is always the answer. That was me, maybe not any of you guys. Uh, and that's why I got kicked out of Sunday school classes. So we have to understand that we can be led away from Jesus and he's pleading with us, do not be led astray. So everything that he's gonna tell us is pointing to this, do not be led astray and Jesus even gives us the details by this and by this and by this. Because we have to understand, I mean, and I hope we get this as Christians, that there is not another system like what we have in the world. Not no religion, no relationship, no love, no mercy, no grace, no forgiveness, nothing like that. What we have through Jesus Christ in the gospel, there's nothing like it. There's no other relationship that you can walk into and you can curse their name and you can uh, damage them and harm them and ignore them and sin against them. And that religious leader says, okay, keep coming. And I've paid for those sins, keep coming. I'm gonna pursue you in your rebellion, keep coming. There's not another system like that in the world. So he said, do not be led astray by anything because I am enough, Jesus is enough. Now, what I'm about to say, you're welcome, okay? I've, I've, this is the first time, I'll, I'll come over here because this does not have to do with the Bible, but this is the first time I feel like an actual preacher today. You ready? because I have three points and they all start with a P. <laughs> Boom, you ready? I'm just proud of that. I, like, I told Bree, she's like, we need to print bulletins and get the little notes and like tuck those inside because you're alliterating. I said, yes, I am. All right, 
So there's three things very clearly in verse five through nine that Jesus is saying, hey, do not be led astray by this. Do not be led astray by this. Do not be led astray by this. And the first one that we see is verse five and six. And while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come where they will not be left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, there's, there's kind of a double meaning here. Of course, he's forecasting what's happening to the temple and what's happening in AD 70. But he's highlighting, do not be led astray by possessions. First P for taking notes. Possessions. Do not be led. Now, he, cards on the table. He, here's where I'm fearful of. If, if I've been writing this point, thinking, marinating about this point. Us being Bible Belt Christians in the South in America, I don't know that we can recognize how much possessions are harming us. The possessions are so much of the normative that we, can we actually see that everything, literally everything we own is gonna be burned or sold in a yard sale. That all that we fight for, that all that we work hard for, that we, that we try to buy, that we try to provide for our family, that we try to serve one another, all of these possessions that we pursue, where, where are they gonna go? I mean, we probably all had loved ones pass away that we go to house and 95% of it goes where? The dumpster. And then the things that really matter to you, your kids break anyways. Just me. <laughs> right? Every, everything. So we, we spend all these times with these possessions. And, and listen, I, I'm, I'm no different. The Lord has rocked me on this one as this week I've just been pursuing and watching my heart of how much possessions pursue me. Now, now last week was the Super Bowl, Right? The GOAT won again. Any Tom Brady fans in here? Nope. It's okay. Listen, he has six Super Bowl rings. You have none. So do that with what you want. But as I was preparing for this in possessions, I'm sure most of you have seen this. There's an article in 2005 where he was filmed by 60 Minutes. And at that point, he only had three Super Bowl rings. And so they're talking to him about his 27-year-old, three Super Bowl rings, the most eligible bachelor. And here's what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something out there greater for me? God, there has to be more than this. So here's a guy that all of us would go, man, if I could just be like him, if I could just have that, those possessions, those rings, that kind of fame, things would be better. And here's the guy sitting there going, man, I thought I'd feel different when I got to this point. There, there's gotta be more than this. Now, if any skeptics like me, my initial thought is, well, I'll try it. He's just doing it wrong, right? Like, you don't know how to be rich well. Give me a shot at it, and I will prove you wrong. But, but I think there's something that we need to learn here, because scripturally, it's not about the possessions, but it's about the want and the longing for the possessions that gets us in trouble. If we see Luke, flip back with me to Luke. Jesus has already addressed this. Again, remember, he's just bringing us back to what he's already taught us. Luke chapter 12 Jesus is clear here what the real trouble is. And it's not the possessions among themselves. Luke 12, we're going to read verse 15. Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Be on your guard against all 
covetedness, which is desire for possessions or others' possessions. For one life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take care, guard your heart, be careful that you don't long for what you don't have. Because there's always gonna be something we are longing for that we don't have. And then Jesus goes on to tell a parable of uh, this farmer that tears down his old silos and, and builds newer ones so he could store all this. He's not giving away, he's hoarding everything. And God shows up and says, listen, your soul's required of you right now. Boom, dead. All that you stored, all that you have, is now for nothing. So Jesus is saying, do not be led astray because the possessions, the covetousness, I want what we cannot have. If we're not careful, it's gonna constantly push us away, to, away from God and not to him. There's no way that we can balance that well. Oh, no, no, I, I can do it. I can envy about what my brother has, but still be pursuing Jesus. That is called idolatry. We, we cannot make an idol of what we don't have but you think we're not being led astray from Jesus. So, so what is it for us? And look, I'm, I'm cards on the table, F-250 in a bigger house, right? I mean, we don't have to spend a lot of time deciphering our heart of what are these possessions that are pulling us away. Now, if you wanna bless your pastor, make sure it's a quad cab with a bench seat up front. But <laughs> just saying, you know, all you can say is no, I'm gonna throw it out there every time, right? It doesn't take long for us to know what we're coveting, what we want that we don't have. We can walk into a room, we can see it, we can smell it, we can feel what other people have we don't. Pay careful attention to that, Jesus is telling us. Because that is leading us astray. That is eventually going to destroy us if we're not careful with it. The next thing that we see, which also starts with a P, go to verse eight for me. Oh, sorry. Flip back, 21 verse eight. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, the time is at hand. Do not go after them. The next thing we see that's constantly trying to lead us astray is people. That people are constantly leading us astray. So if it's not possessions, it's people. And, and look, we know people are crazy, right? Like I, I have, my sister-in-law have this thing where we cannot not show you how we feel by our face. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's been plenty of times where someone's saying something, and sometimes, to be honest, it might be some of you, where I'm having to say, Gabe, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, shut your mouth. Don't let them read your face, because people are crazy. Dare I even say, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there, because I'm just gonna go downhill from there. People are crazy and will tell you whatever they believe is true. And we see this that the louder and longer you say something, people will start to believe it. I mean, if you study how Nazi Germany came into power and how Hitler reigned everything, the main thing he was doing was saying the same thing over and over and over and over again until people started to believe it. So we have to be very careful here that we don't trust everything for face value and we don't understand that people can in fact lead us astray. That people can in fact lead us astray. But if I can just be honest, first century, these disciples saw people coming after Jesus because Jesus got f big fame and fortune and everyone knew who Jesus was. So there are all, all these bandwagon people coming in going, well, Jesus did it, I can do it. So there was a lot of people in the first century that came after Jesus going, no, no, I am him. I am Jesus. I wish that still existed here. It'd be a whole lot easier to go, hey man, don't talk to the bro that walked around the square that says he's Jesus. That guy's crazy. 
that would make this process a lot easier. But what really happens is people just start to contort and change things, and if we're not careful, we fall right into the lie. Here's what I mean. Genesis, you go all the way back. How did Satan tempt Adam and Eve? Did God really say? Did he really say that you can't have that forbidden fruit? Did he really mean it? So he just posed it in a question. He, Satan didn't roll up as a snake and say, listen, I'm Jesus, eat that tree, hallelujah, praise me. Right? He started asking questions. Did he really say? And so I think our faith starts to become destroyed when we let people into our lives that start to question and demean the faith that we have in Christ. And that's how we start to be led astray. And so we see this powerful imagery where Satan, yes, he wins against Adam and Eve, but Satan comes across Jesus in John 4, he's never going to win that battle. So when Jesus is out in the desert fasting for 40 days, and Satan keeps coming and coming and coming at him, what does Jesus go back? Scripture. Every time Satan says, listen, just do this and you can have whatever you want. Man doesn't live against bread alone, you know that. So how can we be sure then that we're not led astray by people? We have to know our scriptures, guys. This is our only defense. If not, anything is going to sound good. If not, we're just going to fall for everything. We're going to start to be led astray quickly if we don't stop and recognize this. And here's where I think that where most people will fall in this. C.S. Lewis writes about it. Donald Miller writes about it. A lot of famous Christian authors have wrote about it. It always starts subliminally. It's a small little thing. Galatians would say it this way. Galatians 5, 7 through 9. You were running so well. So Paul's writing to the church in Galatia. You were doing awesome. You were running so well. You had your hands attached to the plow. You were just getting after it. You were doing it so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That you were going, man. You were awesome. You were pursuing the Lord with everything that you had. Who hindered you? This persuasion is not from him who calls you, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So I'm not talking about people go like, man, I was just like studying my Bible and then wake, snap to, now I'm smoking weed and like doing heroin. It's not that big of a shift. It's those little doubts that we get put in our mind that we were running so well and then we get blindsided by this, we get attacked by this we start to doubt and question this. It's not this huge shift that we see that we're led astray. It's a little leaven that over time manifests and and affects the entire loaf. So what is it then that's gonna lead us astray? It could be one word, one sentence, one facial expression. This is why, I mean, I'm not just trying to prove Texas thing. This is why we push community so hard. It matters whose voice you're listening to. It does. It matters tremendously. I mean, we could do this all over the time. All the time, all over again, there it was. We can constantly be reminding ourselves. I mean, even right now, think of the top five sermons you've ever heard in your life. And I know I have so many good ones that like, you're having to weave through right now. But then think of the top five people that have influenced you. Which one's easier? Sermons or people? It's always people. It's always the people that are speaking truth, speaking life into us. 
So if we're not careful about the people that we let into our lives that speak into us, and if they're not doing it out of scripture, then, then we're gonna be led astray. We've gotta be very careful of that. And, and let me just, because of the raging amount of social media and YouTube and Vimeo and all these people are all over everywhere, podcast, here, here's what I hear a lot that really terrifies me. Yeah, pastor, I was listening to this guy. No one actually calls me pastor, but yeah, pastor, I was listening to this guy. I know he's got some wacky theology, but this sermon was really good. All right, let's, let's put Galatians into there. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That if, if this guy has a little bit of wacky theology, stop. If that is not life-giving based on what scripture is, stop. We're putting ourselves into a dangerous situation that we might not get out of. Yeah, I know, yeah, I'm, I'm stronger than that. I'm, I'm more protected than that. I, I've got this. Stop. You're thinking too highly of yourself. Be careful of who you're listening to because you can just be silently led astray. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And verse nine is the last P that we're gonna cover. And Jesus addresses our problems. So we've got possessions, people, problems. That's kind of fun. PPP. Yeah, you know me. Verse 9. And when you hear of the wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. So when we hear tumults, I don't know that we use that a ton. In the Greek, it means instability, disorder, confusion, disturbance. So when you hear of disturbance, confusion, and wars, don't freak out. Here's what John MacArthur says about this. When you hear of wars and disturbance, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end does not follow immediately. So what he's saying here is to expect deception, disaster, distress, and persecution. But when you see that, that doesn't mean the end is coming immediately. It means it's just getting closer. It's just getting closer. Um, so, so we've had four kids and I've been in the room four times watching babies be born and we have uh, Jared and Abby just had, um, Josiah, Ricky and Laura are dangerously close to having, I don't, dangerously, that sounds weird. Uh, they're close, uh, I don't know how to say that. Yeah, they're close. Priest, give me the move on symbol. They're close to having their baby. And there's this phenomenon within birthing children, which I've heard, I've never done it, um, called Braxton Hicks. Anyone ever heard of this? So Braxton Hicks is it feels, it, it, it I almost said taste. I'm going off the rails, man. I need to pray and be done. I don't know if you can taste contractions, but um, it, it feels everything like a contraction. So you think like within seconds, we got to get to the hospital. I'm about to have this baby. And so the first baby, we have these a lot and, and it's just, you, you start to freak out. So you get to the hospital and the nurse says, oh no, you're not pregnant. Or you're not, you're pregnant, definitely. <laughs> you're not having contractions, just go home. And then like, that's that awkward situation where the stare down happens between the wife and the nurse. And, and so then I was like, I'm going to go to the cafeteria. Y'all fight this out. Tell me if I need to pull the car around now because they feel so real that you do not believe that they're fake and so you go home you get in a warm bath and if those things go away then they're just Braxton Hicks but if they continue to grow more and more and more they're contractions now what does this have to do with anything we have to be very clear that we're not overreacting because of Braxton Hicks and not actual contractions 
that Jesus, and this is starting to bleed into what Dylan will pick up next week of true eschatological, when is he coming back? We have to make sure that we're analyzing this situation correctly. Because what Jesus is alluding to is, yes, these things will start to happen, and they will happen more frequently, but they're not, it's not gonna happen at once. It's not gonna be, there's a war, now I'm back. Because we have World War II, World War I, Civil War, Revolutionary War. I'm not a history major, so I'm gonna stop there because I'm gonna start making up wars. The wars of 1853, do you ever heard of that one? Nope, I'm smart, right? I mean, we just have all these wars. We have all these earthquakes. We have all these floods. We have all, I mean, horrible, horrendous things taking place. And you watch because this just blows my mind and it frustrates me. Every time something happens, there's gonna be some crazy wacko preacher going, see, his now. Uh, didn't we read here that one, no one knows, and two, that this thing is just going to start happening more and more and more? The best illustration, flip over with me to Matthew. I mean, this is, this is identically, identically, man, that is not what I'm trying to say. Exactly what Jesus is alluding to in Matthew 14. Matthew 14, we're gonna pick it up, verse 28. It should be, if you, if you have any background in church, a pretty popular text, but tying into what Jesus is saying here, I think will make it a lot more sense. Matthew 14, we're gonna pick it up in verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if this is you, command me to come out on the water. So Jesus walks out, he, sh he shows up in the sea, the, the storm is raging, waves are going everywhere, and Jesus walks up and Peter says, Lord, if that's you, command me to walk out on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Verse 30 is where everything starts to shift. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So as we're walking through this life and wars, persecution and suffering takes place, when tumults takes place, how we're gonna be led astray is to start focusing on the waves around us and take our eyes off Christ. That's how we're gonna to start to be led astray. Instead of seeing what's actually taking place, which is Jesus is making a pronouncement, he's making a scene for himself, going, I'm gonna come into this place and I'm gonna save people when they think the world cannot be saved. My announcement, when I come back, things are gonna be crazy and they're gonna be crazy for a long time because I'm gonna be the hope of the world. You're gonna see my goodness on display. So how do we not be led astray by our problems? What are we focusing on? In this world, you will have many what? Trials. This world is not gonna be easy. Life is not gonna be fun always. And in those seasons, in the wars, in the tumults, when things just look like they're falling apart, if we're not careful, if we take our eyes off the prize, which is Jesus Christ, we will be led astray. So Jesus is going, look, here's what I can promise you. Things are gonna get crazy. Here's what I can promise you. If you take your eyes off me, you will fail. You will be led astray. 
So don't try to overlize and critique and freak out over the events happening in your life. Just keep your eyes on me. Trust me, keep walking. Keep walking. Every bad thing that comes, that means I'm just one step closer to returning. Keep walking. So what does this mean? As we start to wrap up, what does this mean for us? What are you afraid of that's taking your eyes off of Christ? What people are you listening to that's taking your eyes off of Christ? What possessions are you longing for, are you working so hard for that's taking your eyes off Christ? On his deathbed, he's pleading with us, do not be led astray. That can't happen through possessions, through people, through our problems. What is leading us astray this morning? One of the cool things, in a couple weeks, about a month, we'll get to Jesus teaching, instructing us on the Passover. What it means and all the details of what he brings up. But I love the fact that we take communion after every gathering because we get a time to focus on Christ and, and pray through what is leading us astray. I mean, this is a time for us to examine our own hearts and we pray and we ask for the Spirit to reveal to us what is leading us astray, what is not working for us, what is not good for our souls. Hebrews 12, 2 talks about um, anything that inhibits you from running, let it astray, let it go so that you can pursue Christ with everything. What is it that this morning we need to let go? What dream is it? What fear is it? What situation is it? What possession? What problem is it that we need to go, listen, I'm, I'm going to leave this. When I pick up the bread and dip into the juice, I'm going to leave this at that table because I'm tired of this thing leading me astray. I'm tired of this thing taking my attention away from who Jesus is and what he's done. I'm tired of it. And I see the danger. I see the repercussions that's coming. If I don't put this thing to death, this Morning, what is leading us astray, church? Because if Jesus in his deathbed said, do not be led astray, we cannot be naive enough to think that this is gonna be the struggle the rest of our life. It's to not be led astray. So in a second, I'm gonna pray. When I say amen, communion is gonna be open for everyone. There'll be some elders at the tables for you to pray with. But this morning, what are we laying down? What are we laying down at communion, at the feet of Jesus, so that we would not be led astray anymore? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you didn't leave us empty-handed, Father, but even in your last days, in your last hours, you were giving us warnings, you were giving us encouragements, you were reaching out to us, God, that your love for us knows no bounds. That although we are sinners that have no way we can make things right with you, your love for us means you went to the cross. And so, Father, where are we this morning being led astray? What processions are we pursuing that at the end will lead us with no hope, with no joy, with no satisfaction. But it's consuming our mind, it's consuming our thoughts. Father, what people are we listening to that are not encouraging our souls and fanning the flames for your name and your glory, but instead are leading to doubts 
and self-hatred. And what problems are in our lives right now that if we're honest, have caused us to take our eyes away from you and onto ourselves and we're sinking, we're falling fast. I pray for me and I pray for us that we would not be led astray. That it is possible and it's gonna sneak in on us if we're not careful. But if we're not in community that's constantly praying for and checking with and encouraging one another, it will devour us. So church, as we take communion this morning, what are we gonna lay down? What has led us astray? What is starting to take us in a different direction that we need to this morning confess, repent of, and lay down at the feet of Jesus? And when we break that bread, which represents his body, and we dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, we can say with everything that we have, this is enough. There's no possessions, there's no problems, there's no people that can distract me away from Jesus Christ and his glory and his fame and his renown. And if you are in this room and you have been led astray, you cannot outrun the grace of God. There's no sins that you can commit. There's no thoughts that you can think. There's no actions that you can do that would disqualify you from receiving the grace of God. So maybe this morning for you, as you take this communion, as you come back broken to the cross, you would be courage that you could start over again. So for all of us, what is the Lord speaking? What is he asking us to lay down? And are we willing to do it? As we take communion, let us examine our hearts so that we'd not be led astray. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.